0: Slaves, in reverent fear of God, submit yourselves to your masters, not only for those who are good and considerate, but also for those who are harsh. For it is commendable if someone bears up under pain of unjust suffering because you are conscious of God. But how is it to your credit if you receive a beating for doing wrong and endure it? But if you suffer for doing good and you endure it, this is commendable before God. To this you were called because Christ suffered for you, leaving you an example that you should follow in his steps. He committed no sin and no deceit was found in his mouth. When they hurled insults at him, he did not retaliate. When he suffered, he made no threats. Instead, he entrusted himself to him who judges justly. He himself bore our sins in his body on the cross, so that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. By his wounds you have been healed, for you were like sheep gone astray, but now you have returned to the shepherd and overseer of your souls. Wives, in the same way, submit yourselves to your own husbands so that if any of them do not believe the word, they may be won over without words by the behavior of their wives when they see the purity and reverence of your lives. Your beauty should not come from outward adornment, such as elaborate hairstyles, or wearing of gold jewelry, or fine clothes. Rather, it should be that your inner self, the unfading beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit, which is of great value in God's sight. For this is the way the holy women of the past put their hopes in God, How they used to adorn themselves. They submitted themselves to their own husbands, like Sarah, who obeyed Abraham and called him her Lord. You are her daughters if you do what is right and do not give way to fear. Husbands, in the same way, be considerate as you live with your wives and treat them with respect as the weaker partner, as heirs with you of the gracious gift of life so that nothing will hinder your prayers.
1: Good morning, and good morning to those of you who are online. And good morning, Maggie. Good morning.
2: I'm doing well. How are you? You
1: got any cicadas at your house yet? Uh,
2: Not yet. At least not that I'm aware of.
1: (laughs) Coming, coming soon. Hey, um... This text, Maggie, is an interesting one to hear through Mm 2021 years. I I was wondering if you heard anything that would give cause to pause or maybe would be even objectionable to some.
2: I absolutely did, but I'm more curious, Alan, to know if you did and what those words might be. Putting it back on me. I am. Yeah,
1: I heard slavery. I heard submission. (laughs) I heard... uh, that wives should be submissive, and then that wives are weaker partners mm-hmm. in the marriage relationship. Yeah. I heard that.
2: Yeah, I, you know, I heard that too. And some of those are really hard to hear, especially as a woman, you know, you and I have been talking through this for several weeks now, and I'm excited today, just to be able to share this conversation that we've been having and hopefully allow you uh, all into some of what we've been able to study through this text.
1: We have worked a long time on this and mm-hmm. it, it's uh, it's a pretty complicated text in
2: some regards. So where do you think we should start? You know, it is a long and complicated text, but, hopefully we're gonna be able to simplify this. Really, we're just gonna break this down into chunks, walk through this, but the most important thing, our goal, just as always, is for God to be honored in this. We want to be able to take away something new and to be able to grow closer to God through this conversation that we're gonna have today and through what we're learning.
1: Yeah. There's an interesting uh, thing in verse 21 Mm -hmm. that's helpful to us. It's a Greek word, hupagramos, which is translated example Mm-hmm. And it, it literally means, it's quite a beautiful word picture. We talked about this. It, it, it's referring to, it's used to talk about children learning to write. And they would take the, the letters of the alphabet and then trace over them. And this is the word that Peter is using as he holds up Jesus as an example. He says we should trace over his life. We should trace out his life in ours. So he's, he's calling us as followers of Christ mm-hmm. to to follow him, to trace out his life of submission yep. that led him to the cross, to the tomb, mm-hmm. and to the resurrection and to glory.
2: Yeah, absolutely. I, just, I love that idea of um, just tracing and following the example that Jesus has set for us. You know, we're gonna move through this text and it is a, it is a little bit tricky and there's some touchy subjects we're gonna, gonna talk about. But I want you to remember that Jesus is quite literally in the center of this text. As we, you'll see it, we'll have a tough subject and then Jesus right in the middle and then another tough subject. So it's right where he should be, is in the center of all of it. So let's just keep that in mind as we dig in. So you wanna start us with the first, first big idea here? To-
1: no, <laughs> <But> I will <laughs> So he, he, he starts by talking about slavery, and I think the first thing, and probably most of us know this, that slavery in the first century was considerably different than yes. the slavery that we think about, that, that uh, the terrible racial slavery that took place in this country. And, and so slavery in the first century in the Roman Empire was pretty common, up to a third of the population Same. could have been slaves, and some of them were professionals. And some people entered slavery voluntarily as a means of taking care of their family or even a stepping stone to a better life. And so it's quite different, but that doesn't mean that there wasn't abuse and oppression and mistreatment. And in fact, Peter Peter addresses that in this text.
2: You know, Alan, what, what does he say about it? But I think the bigger question that I think when I work through this text is why doesn't he condemn it?
1: Yeah, I think that's a really good question. You know, Paul talks about slavery maybe more than Peter, and neither one of them condemn it, but neither one of them commend it either. And, and they never say it is of God, and so I think there's some things there for us to consider, but why don't they do that? And I think that the answer, the best answer is interesting and instructive. You know this, in the early days of the church, they were out on the outside, they lacked any political power or influence, and the church, I think this is so important, the church was not called to overhaul social structures through the use of power, but rather through the slow and consistent demonstration of loving trust in God. So Sean, I think the very first sermon in this series is such a great job, He, he talked about how Christians interface with culture. And sometimes we try to isolate from it, just stay away from it. And and then other times we allow ourselves to conform to it and become like it. And then some try to figure out a way to have power and through the use of power, transform culture. But Jesus, none of those are what he's talking about. In his life, he says, I want you to be salt and light to those around you. And I believe the plan was and is to change society, one person at a time, one relationship at a time. And then as more people become followers of Christ, then we have a great influence on the culture. And that, you know, history is just full of, uh, of good things that have happened because people follow Christ.
2: Yeah, that's so important. And I just love, again, the, the priority that's putting on relationships, because Jesus set that example and how we can make a change, one relationship at a time. It's fascinating to look back through Christian influence in history, but it's not all been good, right? No,
1: because yeah. uh, we're human. And so that, that we, and we need to take a humble stance and confess, we just have not always had things right. We didn't do well with slavery, for example, in this country. Right. And, and so it just calls us to take a humble approach and, and an ongoing approach of seeking the will and the way of God and, and reevaluating constantly it doesn't mean we just open our minds to, our brains fall out, but we just continue to look at things and analyze where we are culturally with, mm-hmm. with everything.
2: So for for this purpose right here in our own cultural application right now, how do we apply what Peter is saying about slavery in the Roman Empire to our world today? Most people,
1: most preachers over the years have taken the master-slave relationship and it's a pretty quick jump to employment issues. Yeah. And so that's that's I think that's fair. And and what Peter would say is, hey, if you're going to take that to the marketplace, what you're taking to the marketplace in the workplace is an attitude of submission where you're tracing out the life of Christ there. And so what he says about masters, slaves, really translates well to the workplace and, and to society generally, how we approach. And so it really hits us pretty hard about where we are at work. How do we feel about our boss? How do we feel about the people that report to us? And so it's really real and relevant. And some people deal with horrible bosses. And I wanna go on the record that Sean Green is not a horrible boss. He's he's wonderful. I just wanna get that out there so there's no issues. But but there's a certain way in difficult work relationships, even that are not fair, that, that Peter calls us to trace out the life of Christ. Mm-hmm.
2: So you're saying, it, and as we walk through this text, that we're called to trace out the submissive attitude of Jesus, right? We're, we're called to endure difficult things in a certain way. That's what Peter's telling us.
1: Yes, and so th- just think about Peter's life. He had a front row seat to to Jesus. He he watched Jesus for three plus years. And and, and Peter, uh, Peter was raised as a Jew, so he would have known very well Isaiah 53 and this great prophecy of Isaiah 700 years earlier about the suffering servant. And he would have seen, oh, what Jesus is doing actually is being a fulfillment of Isaiah 53. And so he saw Jesus take our sins to the cross. He saw Jesus heal us. He saw Jesus call us to live like him. And now he's saying, look, I'm holding Jesus up as an example of how to endure injustice. Mm -hmm. And Peter is saying, follow his example, trace out his life. And it's possible to, if you have an awareness, a consciousness of God and his presence and sovereignty in your life. You can do it.
2: Yeah, and he, he's using a part of this passage to talk about this, and it's verses 23 through 25. This is in chapter two. When they hurled their insults at him, he did not retaliate. When he suffered, he made no threats. Instead, he entrusted himself to him who judges justly. He himself bore our sins in his body on the tree so that we might die to sins and live for righteousness. By his wounds, you have been healed. For you were like sheep going astray, but now you have returned to the shepherd and overseer of your souls.
1: Yeah, and that that verse is, he's reflecting on Isaiah 53. He's Mm -hmm. drawing those threads there. And so, you know, you and I talked about uh, some how Jesus enters into oppression as an oppressed one Mm -hmm. with a view of bringing deliverance and salvation and liberation to those contexts where those things do not exist. And it comes through not power, it doesn't come through the normal natural ways that we would seek, but rather it comes through counterintuitive idea of of submission and trust. And so he, Jesus, allows himself literally to be led to death, trusting, believing, knowing, that there's resurrection on the other end of it. And Peter, I believe is saying, hey, trace out his life in yours, trace it out and, and know and, and believe and trust God. Become conscious of him in all situations and know that he will bring about justice. If not now,
2: later. Yeah, yeah. I think this is so important. We can't miss this. Why does Peter say it this way? I think it's, if you back off a little bit,
1: his main concern all the way from the government to slaves to wives, all those submit passages, his main concern is I want more people to be one to Christ. Mm-hmm. And whatever you can do to allow that to happen, then do that. And it's a reflection of Jesus, he wants people to be brought into relationship with Him and the Father, and He wants people to know and position themselves for eternal life through in the new heaven and the new earth that's yet to come, and this doesn't happen through the natural
2: avenues of power, but it comes through submission and trust. So Alan, this kind of leads us to a really tricky question. Does this mean that we allow people to abuse us, run over us, we, you know, we don't have a right to, to defend ourselves if something is happening?
1: No, and and especially concerned about this for some women in, in abusive relationships. If you're in a relationship like that today, that is not the will of God. Right. And and please, um, if we can help you get out of that, contact, contact Maggie, mm-hmm. do whatever, contact somebody. You, you don't need to stay and should not stay in that kind of relationship. I think that the next section, which is the difficult thing for women to hear it helps us deal with the tension of submission. And we'll notice some things, and it's mostly about women. Before we get there, I just wanted to say something about Jesus and women. Yeah. And I know, I know you know this.
2: Um, I like when you, this part, go ahead.
1: Yeah. <laughs> when, you, uh, when you look at Jesus and the way he treated women, if you look at it through first century eyes, it's stunning, if not shocking. Mm-hmm. Because Jesus relies on women do a lot of his work of getting his message out. And so you see him in John 4, the Samaritan, and that's another odd thing, Samaritan woman becomes the very first evangelist. And then you look at Luke 8 and you see that Luke tells us that there's there's an entourage that Jesus has and it includes women who are now following him, supporting him out of their pocket. And then probably the most stunning thing of all is the resurrection of Jesus is witnessed The empty tomb is witnessed first by women. And Jesus is seen first Mm -hmm. by a woman after the resurrection. And they go and tell the men and the men don't believe them at first. And Peter's one of those that hears from a woman that Jesus has risen from the dead. So I, I think it's important to to say that before we dive into 1 Peter 3, 1 through 7. So now I've said it, go ahead. Yes,
2: thank you, Alan, I appreciate that. You know, in this chunk of the text, so this is 1 Peter 3, 1 through 7, there's a lot of talk about submission here. And this is that second tough subject we talked about earlier. So just remember that Jesus is in the middle of all of this and we wanna trace this example that is being set for us. So it starts saying that women and wives need to submit to their husbands. And while we say that the word submit can be hard to hear, we really shouldn't be surprised by the way it's, it's used in this passage. When we submit, we put another person first. And in marriage, and in most of our relationships, we should be doing that. We should be putting the other person first. Romans 12, 10 says, be devoted to one another in love. Honor one another above yourselves it's pretty clear that we need to submit. So we shouldn't be offended by those words. We shouldn't push back at the way that it's being used.
1: Yeah, and you know, A lot of people go to Ephesians 5.22, wives submit to your husbands. Mm-hmm. But right before that, in verse 21, it says, submit to one another, men and women, submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. And so, I don't think Peter's picking on women here. He's talked about government. He's talked about slaves and now he's just in the same way and he's going to talk to men too. Yeah,
2: absolutely. And you know, one of the things that stands out to me most in this text is the responsibility that is given to the wives or to the women. Peter describes a wife who is a believer, but a husband who is not a believer, a husband who does not know the word of God. And the text tells, that, tells us that if a husband doesn't know God and the wife is submissive, she puts him first, she's kind, she lifts him up, she can bring her husband to Christ through submission. You know, men were considered leaders of the family. It was a very uh, patriarchal society at that time. And so this means that the husband ran the family. So, how can a woman convince her husband of her faith, of her honestly held faith, without starting an argument, uh, without challenging his role in the family, and also, it's important, without disgracing him in the eyes of society? So, Peter's putting the responsibility on women, on wives in this situation, but also I think he's empowering women as leaders in their homes in this way.
1: And if you Back off and look at the text. What do you think his main concern is? Yeah,
2: yeah, his, his main concern here is, is maintaining a, a peaceful, uh, respectful relationship. He says a wives should win their husbands over not with nagging or with arguing or complaining. I'm sure my husband is thrilled to hear that, right? But it's through a gentle, quiet
1: it. And I want to say my wife does not name.
2: So something. <laughs> yes, is great. I love it. Uh, but really, it, you know, it's that inner beauty that Peter is focusing on, not the outward appearance. Respect was a huge deal at this time. Again, patriarchal society we're talking in, but so were appearances. So comparing the inner beauty to outer beauty during this time of the text when this is being Taught, it would really have spoken to Peter's audience. Women at the time, they followed the practices of the Romans and the Greeks. They would dye their hair their bright colors and stack it high on their head. Their clothing was amazing. They would spend enormous amounts of money on wardrobes and jewelry and makeup just to create these stunning looks. Kind of
1: sounds like today, Maggie. It just kind of sounds a little familiar. Yeah. But, but we know, and we've talked about this, that the outer appearance and our image, uh, that that superficial image is right. not priority for God. Right? right?
2: Absolutely, it, it is not at all. Unlike today, maybe theirs was a little brighter and bigger than what our fashion and our, you know our things I are today. That, that. Uh, but outward appearances were important during that time of the text. But you know we can all relate to that—the things that we see and we experience—the the pressure that's put on appearances in our culture today. However, it was that inner beauty of character, faith, heart that's what peter is focusing on and so that's what we need to focus on now we are all going to find ourselves in a submission like a submissive relationship at some point or another a, a, a relationship in which we might feel oppressed and so the important thing to take away is that no matter uh, what our role is in that is that we are empowered And empowered to and responsible for letting others see Jesus through our actions in our relationships. We hear this all throughout the Bible. Think of Matthew 5, 16. It says, in the same way, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven.
1: So this uh, letting your light shine that Mm -hmm. Jesus talks about is that it has to be outward things, but Mm -hmm. where does it really come from?
2: Yeah, you know what we look like on the outside, that's not gonna shine the light of Jesus the way that we want it to. It's our inner light. Um, but this is where it gets really tricky because it's completely countercultural. You know, we're focused on outward appearance, and so it's countercultural to focus on your inner heart. Mm-hmm. Uh, but isn't this what Jesus is all about? This is what I love. We talk about countercultural, there's no one ever more countercultural than Jesus. So when we follow that example of being countercultural, You know, Jesus sat with the broken, the lepers, the prostitutes, people that no one else would touch or interact with. Jesus was with them. And not only did he uh, touch them and interact with them, he loved them. He loved every broken person. And this is why it's important for us, no matter what role we find ourselves in, that we submit and shine the light of Jesus because we want everyone to know and experience the love of Jesus.
1: So what I think I understand Is that um, for the sake of the kingdom? Sometimes I give up Mm -hmm. what might be my right. Yeah. Right?
2: Yeah, absolutely. That's exactly what this text is saying. (laughs) Sometimes that can be a little hard to hear. Like, oh, I gotta, you know, I gotta give things up for the sake of the kingdom. But how else could we bring more glory to God than that? A submissive relationship and and being um, submissive in that way can bring so much glory to God. You know, there's a few more layers to this text, though. I want to make sure that we don't miss. The text talks a lot about women or wives in this case and how it's important for women to submit and put their husbands first. And I think this gets a lot of attention because of the uh, impact that women can have on their husbands and also because of the role that women played in this patriarchal society, You know, but the text does not ignore husbands. You touched on that earlier. It it talks to husbands too. It says husbands in the same way. Or another translation says, the same goes for you, husbands. Husbands are called to submit as well to honor their wives.
1: Yeah, so it's an equal skin in the game, so to speak. Yeah,
2: absolutely. So there's one last part
1: that would be tempting to overlook, but you're gonna take it head on.
2: Yeah, it would be pretty easy to skip this part because I I feel like this might be some of the most... um, Difficult words of the passage. And it could be a, a trigger phrase for many people when we hear the words uh, treat them with respect as the weaker partner. So referring to women as the weaker partner. Like, ugh, right? It makes me bristle a little bit. Uh, but again, I can't hear this through 2021 20, ears, like you said earlier.
1: Yeah. So if you could put on some first century years, uh, how would that help us?
2: <laughs> you know, context is really, really important here. When this was written, women, women did not have the advantages that men did. If a woman wasn't married, quite literally, she had no way to support herself. Uh, so the word weaker in Aramaic, in Aramaic, okay, and that was the native language that Peter would have used to write this. The word weaker is makal. Makal only means weak, in the sense of a debtor who has been paid off, so he has no power over you. Weaker partner, the way this was written, it doesn't have to mean physically weaker. It doesn't mean emotionally weaker. It doesn't. It most definitely doesn't have to mean spiritually weaker. It simply means that wives lacked the same advantages that husbands would have had at that time. I know that as a woman, it is really important for me to hear this in the right context. I am not inferior. That is not what Peter was saying. You know, and in fact, it's the next part of this, the very last part that brings it all home. It says that wives are heirs with their husbands of the gracious gift of life. Another translation of the Bible says co-heirs and another, even another translation says equals. In God's eyes, through the grace of God, men and women, husbands and wives, slaves and masters, we are all equals And we are all promised the gift of God's grace. It doesn't matter what role we find ourselves in. We all have the promise of eternity in heaven through the death and resurrection of Jesus.
1: I really appreciate you and thank you for your good, humble, loving approach to everything, but also to this text today. So thank you.
2: It's been challenging to work through it. There's been moments where you read through it and think, oh. Yikes, but it's also been really, really rewarding. You know, and and as I worked through the scripture, it was pretty easy to see that we can take scripture and we can and we have made scripture fit our narrative. Yep, we have plugged it in where we want it to work. It's how we've gotten ourselves into some pretty bad situations. But what I take away, you know, we're talking about tracing Jesus. Jesus was consistent if we're tracing his example, we can't flip the narrative to fit something we wanna make it fit. We can't change Peter's words and make them work for us. We simply need to follow the example of Jesus and how he, how he valued everyone and used submission in a positive way. You know, we're talking about Peter's words there. There were So a few more things about Peter's words in Mark's gospel that you were talking about earlier that really, I thought, brought some extra value to this. Yeah, this kind of fascinates
1: me. A lot of scholars believe that Mark, Inspired by the Holy Spirit, got his information from Peter, Mm -hmm. that Peter shared with Mark his personal experiences, and then Mark writes them down, and there's a lot of uh, first and second century church fathers that say that, so we don't know for sure, but that's interesting, and if that's the case, that Mark's gospel is really informed by Peter, it's kind of fascinating that how Mark's gospel emphasizes the submissive mm-hmm. silence of Jesus. To use the words of Mark 14, 61, during the context of his trial, Jesus remained silent and gave no answer.
2: So how do you think that impacted Peter's words? to well, the
1: Well, you know, as, as Peter writes these words to exiles who are on the outside,
2: mm-hmm. he's telling them, don't
1: rise up in power. He's encouraging submissive trust as he remembers what he saw Jesus do. Is, is, he, is he remembering uh, this deafening, confusing silence of Jesus when he, come on, Jesus, say something. And, and this leads Peter to deny Christ. It's like, why is he being so quiet? Now, fast forward 30 years and, and does Peter see that silent submission rooted in trust is the true way to life and freedom. I think so.
2: Yeah, and I think that's the perfect way to tie this all together. Submission rooted in trust. And it just all comes back to that concept of tracing out the life of Jesus. You know, Jesus trusted God in his submission. And that's what we're called to do. Jesus trusted God in his submission and we are called to do the same. You know, Jesus is in the center of it all and he's given us that example. So that's the takeaway today. That's the takeaway.
1: It's, I do, I agree. It's very, a very good takeaway. And so
2: this morning uh,
1: I'd like for us to end by hearing the text again, this time from the message, which is Eugene Peterson's translation Mm -hmm. paraphrase. Peterson does a really good job of bridging some of that cultural tension of nearly 2,000 years and he gets at the timeless truths that transcend cultural expression. So let's listen again to the text.
2: All right. You who are servants, be good servants to your masters, not just to good masters, but also to bad ones. What counts is that you put up with it for God's sake when you're treated badly for no good reason. There's no particular virtue in accepting punishment that you well deserve. But if you're treated badly for good behavior and continue in spite of it to be a good servant, that is what counts to God. This is the kind of life you've been invited into, the kind of life Christ lived. He suffered everything that came his way so you would know that it could be done and also know how to do it step by step. He never did one thing wrong. Not once said anything amiss. They called him every name in the book and he said nothing back. He suffered in silence, content to let God set things right. He used his servant body to carry our sins to the cross so we could be rid of sin, free to live the right way. His wounds became your healing. You were lost sheep with no idea who you were or where you were going. Now you're named and kept for good by the shepherd of your souls. The same goes for you, wives. Be good wives to your husbands, responsive to their needs. There are husbands who, indifferent as they are to any words about God, will be captivated by your life of holy beauty. What matters is not your outer appearance, the styling of your hair, the jewelry you wear, or the cut of your clothes, but it is your inner disposition. Cultivate inner beauty, the gentle, gracious kind that God delights in. The holy women of old were beautiful before God that way and were good, loyal wives to their husbands. Sarah, for instance, taking care of Abraham, would address him as my dear husband. You'll be true daughters of Sarah if you do the same, unanxious and unintimidated. The same goes for you, husbands. Be good husbands to your wives. Honor them, delight in them. As women, they lack some of your advantages. But in the new life of God's grace, you are equals. Treat your wives then as equals so your prayers don't run aground.
1: Thank you, let's pray. Father, we know that uh, really about everything, if not everything in relationship to you is about relationships and how we treat each other. And may we not run our prayers aground by being abusive, may we not hinder our prayers by not following and tracing out step by step the submissive life of jesus god it's so hard to do because it just doesn't seem normal or natural but that's what you call us to and so help us to be like jesus and it's in his name we pray